turn to Psalm. This is a background reading to Mark 4. We're going to take a little uh, a trail today, focusing on Mark 4, 35 to 41. But um, as a background reading, I'd like to read from Psalm 107, 23 through 32. Psalm 107, 23 through 32. It's a big psalm. This is a section that uh, you see the Lord Jesus him, him, himself fulfilling in Mark chapter 4. Verse 23. <clears throat> Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord. His wonders in the deep, he commands and raises a stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. And so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. And then we turn to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, chapter 4. The very last part. 35 to 41. On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So it's the Sea of Galilee here. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So that's our focus this morning is Mark 5, sorry, Mark 4, 35 to 41. Now, if you look really carefully at this passage, what word do you see there three times? There's one word, and that word is great. And the original is translated as mega. It's mentioned three times. There was a great windstorm. That's verse 37. And then you see in verse 40, a great calm. Is that verse 40? Uh, verse 39. A great calm. So a great windstorm, verse 37. Verse 39, a great calm. And then it concludes in verse 41 with a great fear. So a great windstorm or great, uh, yeah, windstorm, a great calm, and a great 
fear. It's not just a story. A lot of people think that these are nice stories, but not rooted in history and not didn't really, really happen. It really happened. And boys and girls, how do we know that this really happened? That Jesus, just by the word of his mouth, calms everything. How did this really happen? How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. God never lies. He always tells us the truth. That's one thing God can never do is lie. But here in this incident, though, what does Christ want to do? He wants to teach us something. Just as he wanted to teach his disciples. Have they come to know Christ as he wants them to know him? Have they come to know him as he really is? Not just a man, not just a friend, but a full Lord Christ. Have they come to know him? And do they trust him? The one that they should come to know? They saw so much. They heard so much. And now he's going to test their faith. Are they going to persevere and still trust him? Even in the midst of real big storm on the sea? Are they going to persevere? Are they going to trust him? Do they know him in that way, that they know that they can trust him? You know, in the early church, there were many drawings, many paintings, which pictured the church. I think that's a good way of looking at this passage. It pictured the church as a boat, the church as a boat being tossed to and fro in a storm at sea. And it pictures Jesus there in the midst of the boat in his glory and majesty. And likewise, in this passage, Jesus here wishes to reveal that the church is secure. It's secure. It's safe in the midst of a raging, furious storm that we see all around in the world. Right? The devil and his agents love to carry out their fury against the church. And here... Jesus wishes to show that he is in the midst of whom? He is in the midst of the church, not the world. And therefore, we find our security in Jesus and Jesus alone. So we see three things here, according to the greats. Okay, he permits the great storm. As a matter of fact, I would say he sends the great storm. <laughs> the one who's sleeping, he's the one who sends the great storm. Not to hurt his church, but to test the love of his church for him. So he permits the great storm, verse 35 to 38. And then he brings a great calm, verse 39. And then he brings out from them a great fear. He elicits a great fear from his disciples. So we see, first of all, he permits or he brings about the great storm. You know, verse 35, you look at verse 35, it begins with these very words, on the same day. Well, what day was that? Well, he was sitting in a boat. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus was sitting in the boat. There were so many people that he kind of got crowded off and he ended up just sitting in the boat, speaking to the multitudes of people, just teaching and teaching and teaching parables. And then afterwards, he's exhausted, 
so exhausted. But then, even then, he, what does he do? He takes his disciples inside and he says, you know what, I'm going to, going to take the time now to explain all the parables to you. He sits alone with them to explain them. Evening has come. It's really late. And he says to them, let's cross over to the other side. So they're on the, on the one side of the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee and they want to cross. He, he suggests that they cross to the other side. The passage doesn't say why. Of course, Jesus has something in mind, something in mind for them and for their faith. But ultimately, he wants to go to the other side because he also has to preach the gospel to the people on the other side of the lake as well. That's why he came into the world, was to preach the gospel, according to Mark 1.38. In verse 36, then, we read that now they now left the multitudes, and they take Jesus along in the boat as he was. As he was tired. Jesus was truly human, let's not forget. He was tired, exhausted, in need of sleep. No doubt about it. And we read in verse 37, Jesus is sleeping down below in the boat at the stern. And what happens? A great windstorm comes. Do you think Jesus knew about this? That's one of the reasons why he brings it to the other side. He's the one who brings it. He's the one who sends it. He has a good purpose for it. But it doesn't say that here specifically, but we know from other scriptures that it does. And we read here that the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was filling up with water. The disciples are afraid. I don't know if you've heard of stories of ships caught a storm at sea, but apparently I'm told that thousands have sunk to the bottom of the ocean and very rarely is it even recorded in the news. That's how many sink. Many, many, many just sink to the bottom of the ocean. Think of the Titanic as one example. But here we're told there was a great windstorm. So it was not, not a thunderstorm, but a windstorm. And this word specifically refers to powerful gusts of wind. Now, if you look at the um, Sea of Galilee, it was in a... Um, you, you could say the Sea of Galilee was nestled in the hills. Okay, there were high hills around it, especially to the north and to the east. And it was just a prime location for wind sometimes to come through the valleys or the uh, spaces in between the mountains, come down and just uh, cause sudden windstorm on the sea. Usually the cool currents would mix with the, the hot air currents of all the water, and it would just make the waters tossed to and fro. And that's what happened here. Just at that moment, you see the wind whipping up the seas, whipping up the water into a frenzy. Who's caught in the middle of it? The boat with the church, right? Christ's disciples, right? And Jesus himself in that boat is filling up with water. Now, if you look throughout the scripture, the sea often symbolizes restlessness, uh, even obstinacy, okay, insubordination, and it needs to be ruled. Okay, it's often a symbol of, of rising or taking its stand against God. Uh, give you an example. Um, think of Isaiah 17, 12 and 13. God refers to a multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas. 
and to the rushing of the nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. And this is, but God will rebuke them and they will flee away. Okay, so it represents hostile powers, hostile nations. Um, often represents the devil, Satan, wanting to, wanting to harm God's people, wanting to uh, hurt them. And when you look at verse 37 again, you see that same thing about the sea raging its fury against the boat. You almost, picture yourself in that boat. You would sense that sense of insecurity, right? It would be a great anxiety, a great insecurity of being in the boat. And the focus here is on the church in a sea of fury and anger, right? It's like the sea is taking out its fury and anger against the church. Jesus is preparing his disciples, right? They're going to go up. You're going to read about the, the, the expansion of the church in the book of Acts and the fury of the nations, right? The anger against his disciples for preaching the gospel. Okay, so the focus is on the church in the sea of fury and anger. And where's Jesus? Is Jesus very anxious? Is he very scared? Ah, uh, he's enjoying his sleep. He's human, truly God, but truly man. He is fast asleep, and it says on a pillow. So it was comfortable for him, okay, laying in the bottom part of the ship. That fact that the boat was going like this, didn't really so much concern him. He was concerned about the faith of his disciples. He slept. What a contrast, isn't it? See Jesus here, right? Complete human nature. I mean, in his human nature, his complete trust in the God in the midst of adversity. You think of those words in Hebrews 12, 2 verse 13. We hear Jesus say, I will put my trust in him. He shows himself not only the one that should be trusted in, but what an example of trust in God. Completely calm, trusting in him. Those words come from Psalm 18, right? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. What a contrast between the disciples and Jesus. But his disciples... They're ready to fall apart. They're ready to fall apart like the boat is ready to fall apart. And yet, in the midst of it, they do turn to Jesus. They're turning to the right spot in the midst of all their anxieties. See verse 38. They went to him. They woke him up. See, he needed to be awakened. And they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, it's very easy sometimes when we have trouble in our lives, hardships, that we start saying, don't you care, Lord? It's the same sort of thing that you see happening here in the boat. Don't you care? Or we see Satan using the, the nations, even trying to destroy the church. You see it in different ways today, trying to discourage the church harm the church and then you begin to think Lord why aren't you doing something about it can't you do something about it and then you know what in those times too when we're experiencing those times we think we, we, there's really no calm inside there's no quiet no peace we're easily agitated 
kind of like that storm-tossed sea. We feel it in here, all the noise within. And yet here on the sinking boat, who's sleeping? Jesus. He's the one who's in control. He permits that mega storm, you can call it. But in it all, he's testing. Are you going to trust me? He's testing his disciples' faith. They're thinking, will he fail them? Will he fail them? No. Remember what Jesus said? Didn't Jesus say, let's go over to the other side? Jesus made a promise. We're going to reach the other side. Will he fail them? Does Jesus ever fail in any one of his promises that he gives in the Bible? He gave his life for the church to redeem her. Will he not also bring us to the other side, to the land of glory? But even then, little faith, maybe not big faith, but it's still faith. It may be weak faith, maybe tiny, tiny faith, the faith of a mustard seed. It may be fragile faith. And yet, in the midst of such little faith, they still turn to Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, the, the man saying, Lord, I believe. Peter saying, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? Even as he's come to Jesus, <laughs> he's struggling with his own unbelief. And that's what they do here. They're turning to Jesus. They're turning to the Lord Jesus. After all, he's the only one who can bring calm to them. And that brings us to the second point, verse 39. The one who brings the storm is the one who also brings the calm. You see here the authority. What really stands out is the authority of Christ, the authority of his word, the authority of our sovereign Lord and King. His word, his word, by his powerful word, he addresses the wind and the waves. Look at verse 39. Then he arose, imagine him standing up in the boat. He rebukes the wind and he says, peace, be still. Two words, hush, still. That's literally the, the meaning there. You know, the same word by which the heavens and the earth were created by the word of his mouth is that same word that brought stillness to the seas, to the waters, and to the waves. It's the same word which commands the sea, peace, be still. You know that word rebuke is the same word that Jesus used of rebuking the evil spirit in the man who, was, who had the evil spirit in Mark chapter 129. It's the same word, rebuke. He rebuked the winds and the waves. By the way, he who calms the waves is the one who casts out devils and ultimately casts out those who never trust in him, unbelievers who never yield to him. But here it simply says he rebuked the wind. It's not saying that there's demons in the wind. We should not understand it that way. There's not a demon in the wind. But the wind is insubordinate. It's unyielding, and it must yield to the authority of Christ himself. Like all things must yield to his authority and submit to it. 
that must be ruled. And that's why he rebukes it. There is good news here, isn't there? If Jesus can do that to the wind, <laughs> calm it, he can do that in our hearts. He can bring calmness to our hearts. Even our hearts that are often so stubborn, rebellious, obstinate, our sinful nature. As a matter of fact, there's no way we could ever rule over our hearts. There's no one that could ever overrule our hearts. There's only one who can root that out, the obstinacy of our hearts, and bring calm and peace. Yeah, to the sea, Jesus simply says, hush, still. Be still and be still. It's almost like he addresses the sea as a personal being. You, hey, you, be still and be still. And hear the hearts of the disciples, right? Restless, afraid, obstinate, no peace. And yet you see the authority of Christ who can effect that kind of great calm. See the last part of verse 39? The wind ceased. There was a great calm. Isn't that what the church needs today? I think some of the reasons why we, re we lack so much courage to stand on the word of God is because we lack the calmness. We lack the trust in him. That's often the reason why I think we lack so much courage in the church. You know, in the Old Testament, wind and waters against civilized, rebellious peoples over whom God rules for the sake of the church. Psalm 65, 7. It says there, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of the waves and the tumults of the peoples. He's the one who stills it. He's the one who quiets it. Psalm 77, 16. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. In Psalm 107, we also read about ships that do business in great waters. It says here, they see the works of the Lord and the wonders of the deep. For he commands and raises a stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths, kind of like this, right? Their soul melts because of trouble. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Yeah. See, Jesus hears the fearful cry. He's the one that they turn to. Though they have little, little faith. And yet... He hears when we turn to him. Even if there's so much unfaith in us, unbelief in us, the fact we turn to him is what he calls us to do. To whom does Psalm, to whom does Psalm 107 point? To Christ, right? Who is asleep in the stern of the boat. In calming the storm on the sea, Jesus does again what only God, what he, God, can do. The wind stopped. The sea became calm. How fast did that happen? Sometimes in a storm, it might take like half an hour for the waves to go like this and then like this. But it was immediate. It's like the moment Jesus said those words, you could see yourself in the water like a mirror, looking into the mirror. You could see your reflection. Everything was still. Everything was quiet. Everything was under control. There was perfect calm. Disciples begin to see in Jesus more 
than they ever knew. Christ, the one who is in the boat asleep, reveals himself in his majesty and glory. Think of Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Yeah, come see him in a new way. We can have calmness. We can have courage. We can stand. We can stand firm in him. You know, it's unsettling sometimes for people who come to know the Lord Jesus in this way. At first they see him as a friend, and he is a friend. He is a closest friend, an intimate friend, truly human. But he's more. He's also the one who calls for a response of worship and reverence and awe and respect. The one in whom the winds and the waves obey. And that brings us to that great fear. The third thing, the response of great reverence. There's just not a lot of reverence for God today, is there? Because we become so familial with him, as if he's kind of dragged down to our level. And yes, indeed he is a friend, but he's also one we ought to look up to, one we worship, the one in whom we fear, reverence, respect. Now before we go there, notice that Jesus first of all rebukes his own church here. He rebukes the waves and the wind, and then he rebukes his own church here in verse 40. The world should be afraid because there's only terror before this mighty sovereign one. But for the church, she says, why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Verse 40, those are his words. He rebukes them, but notice he's not... He's not trying to put them down. He's rebuking them with his spirit of love, with a heart of love. Why are you so afraid? You know, the lack is never in Jesus or his promises. There is no lack in him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing, said Psalm 23, verse 1. But where's the lack? The lack is in us, isn't it? Our faith, our trust. We become afraid. We tremble. The lack is in our trust. But remember, the one who brought you with his blood, the one who bought you with his blood, also says this in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I think some of the children know this song. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Psalm 56. There's also a verse in Psalm 50. God... Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Great calm. There was great calm. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Again, this fear is not the fear, is not the terror of unbelievers who will meet their faithful end in hell forever. That's different under the one who, um, the sovereign and glorious King Jesus Christ. But here's the fear of awe, reverence, and respect. Who can this be? Who can this be? 
It's the kind of amazement that John had when he saw him. Remember when he saw a vision of the ascended Lord Jesus? What was the first response? He fell down as dead. It was such reverence. He fell down at his feet as dead. But what does he do? He laid his right arm on John and said, don't be afraid. And then he just pours out his promises to him. You know, there is no greater awe than the awe of God's justice and mercy in Christ for sinners on the cross, where God, where you see the power of Christ's own divine nature carrying in his own humanity the weight of God's wrath and doing this to earn for us salvation, righteousness, and life. Oh yes, we can certainly rest in Christ's promises. Sometimes people think, if bad things are happening to me, if hardships are coming, oh, God must be punishing me. Uh, 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 no, no, no. If you're a child of God, he doesn't punish. He chastises, he disciplines, but he's there to test our love for him. Do you trust me? Do you love me? Are you willing to obey me? Our, our faith might not be big. Our faith might be tiny. It might be weak. It might be fragile. But he is big enough. He is big enough to care for all our needs. Filled with awe. What are we called to do? Receive him by faith. Trust him. And by his spirit, we obey. If you read Mark 5 or 4, 35 to 41 again, we see that with Jesus in the midst, there's nothing to fear in the world. Nothing to fear. That's what he's saying here. Even the wind and the sea obey him. And today, of course, he sits on the throne. You notice that in the book of Acts, we see the security of the church. How? It's sailing. It's sailing in the midst of the fury of the of the enemies that are persecuting the church. It continues to sail, and Christ is with that church, bringing her to the other side, to the new heavens and a new earth. That church will never be sunk. And today, too, the church is like a battered boat, but it's secure in its sailing, even to the other side, even as we look to him in faith. The Bible says that God has put all things under Christ's feet, has given him to be head over all things for the sake of the church. Everything that he's ruling is for the sake of that boat. He will bring the church safely to the other side in new heavens and new earth. By the way, Revelation 21, what's it say there? And there will be no more sea. That's where he's leading the church to, a place where there's no more sea, Revelation 21. Wow. Disciples were overawed with the power and majesty and glory of Jesus. Who then is this? The answer to this question is not given here directly, but it's for you and me to answer. Who then is this? How do you answer this question? How do I answer this question? And he calls for a response of faith and trust. Amen.